everybody, to another edition of the Guys Girl Show. I feel like I do that every time I, I start a new show. I clap like this, so sorry if that messes up um, for you guys that are listening on uh, Just Podcast alone. But my name is Blythe Bremley. I am here with you every Monday night from about 7 p.m. until um, I get tired of talking. And then on uh, Friday morning for the Guys Girl Show, recapping and previewing the sports and entertainment news for the week. And uh, it's been a, a pretty good Monday. We are on the Monday of Star Wars week. We have a new Star Wars movie coming out in the middle of football season. Got Heisman talk, all that good stuff. We're going to dive all into it starting right now. And the biggest news of the day is obviously the Rams firing Jeff Fisher. They it, The Rams have had head coach Jeff Fisher with their organization for about five years. Uh, he moved on from the, the Houston Oilers and moved with the team from Houston to Tennessee and then became the Tennessee Titans and then was fired from the Tennessee Titans before taking over the Rams job in St. Louis. The St. Louis Rams moved from last or moved last year from St. Louis to LA and one season LA, a big market like that. Um, I think they decided that they didn't want to take any more of his shit. Um, six winning seasons out of 22, out of 22 head coaching seasons, and only six of them were winning seasons. So LA said no thank you to that and decided to part ways here on this Monday. And he is Jeff Fisher. One of the, the rumors floating around is that the Rams did not want to own the head coach or have the head coach earn the, the worst record of all time as far as losing is concerned. So right now, Jeff Fisher is tied with being the most losingest coach of all time with another fellow by the name of Dan Reeves. So six winning seasons out of 22. And um, I was listening to uh, a few different Sports Talks radio show about this about Jeff Fisher getting fired because I think a lot of people were wondering throughout the season, like, how does Jeff Fisher still have a job? And I theorized that I thought that Jeff Fisher was still had a job because of the fact that he is used to moving. He's used to moving um, from the from Houston to Tennessee with that franchise, and the only reason that they actually kept him from St. Louis to L.A. when that whole move started with, you know, they, they had the first-round draft pick with Jared Goff and all that good stuff, and, and a lot of people said, well, why didn't they just clean house and why didn't they just fire him right away? Well, with the new stadium in L.A. hasn't been built yet, so right now they're playing out of the Coliseum, which is sort of a dump. But they're playing out of the Coliseum, but they also have their operations spread out in different locations. So it's an organization that's sort of been disarray this entire football season. You can probably tell it by their, their play on the field, even though they were playing uh, pretty decent. They are playing better than the Jags, um, better, than the, better than the 49ers, better than the Bears, um, better than the Browns, obviously, the winless poor Browns. Um, so I think I, I was theorized over the over the football season that he Jeff Fisher still had a job because everything is in such disarray. They just gave him that contract extension, and I think that that was more or less to say, hey, at least we want some kind of stability in our franchise, and this is the best way to do it. But apparently that wasn't good enough, so they fired him before the two-year contract extension ever uh, came to light. So he is going to be looking for a new job. I doubt he gets a new job. Um, I don't know where what other team would want to hire the the definition of a below average coach. Um, 400 winning percentage, I think, over his over his career, which sounds probably really good to a bunch of different franchises out there, but it wasn't good enough for the LA market. And I think that that is where uh, sort of the, the the biggest story is is that 
I was listening to Clay Travis earlier today, and he made a really good point about that Jeff Fisher's antics, and, and, and Clay Travis is very familiar with, with Jeff Fisher and, and what he's done because he's a big uh, Tennessee Titans fan, so obviously Jeff Fisher was a, a coach there for a very long time and led them to a Super Bowl. They came, the, they, they came one yard shy against the Rams for, um, or one yard shy of winning a Super Bowl against the Rams. The Rams won that year. That was about what? Um, about more than a decade ago, I think. Yeah, definitely more than a decade ago. Um, but he made a really good point that Jeff Fisher's antics were tolerated in small markets. So in, in Nashville and in St. Louis, where, you know, a, a head coach sort of has a, a lot of power over the city as, as, as far as their media coverage is concerned, that don't fly in, in a big market in L.A. And I think that, that we sort of saw that come to, come to a head when the famous Rams um, Hall of Famer Eric Dickerson, he said a couple weeks ago that he was essentially not allowed on the Rams' sidelines anymore as far as if, if Jeff Fisher was still the head coach. And Eric Dickerson is um, a guy who has, he, he played for the Rams for forever, Hall of Famer, um, was always on the sidelines during the games, a big, big fan of the team, like a legitimate fan of the Rams. And he started to critique them a, a, a ton and probably overly critique them as, as far as some NFL teams are concerned. And that's where you get into sort of a... I don't want to say a dangerous position, but whenever you're used to, whenever you're a guy like Jeff Fisher and you're used to being a small market kind of coach, you're used to controlling the conversation. You're used to making the media sort of bend over for you and, and they just take it. But in this case, with moving to a bigger market, Jeff Fisher didn't like the criticism that was coming out of all different, all different, um, aspects, you know, newspapers and media channels and things like that. They were the third, they, they weren't even the most watched team, the Rams, in their own in their own new market. And, and give that, I guess, to, to a lot of the, I guess you, you could sort of attribute that to a lot of the Transplants fans in LA or the fact that they have better things to do than to watch a losing football team. So that sort of shines a light. I think that Eric Dickerson case sort of shines a light on how teams, especially in small markets, treat a lot of their media, especially here in Jacksonville. You will see that a lot here with the Jaguars. If the Jaguars do not like people to criticize them, they, you know, Mike Lombardi sort of touched on this earlier in the year, and he's, he, Mike Lombardi is, um, you know, he was very, very close with Bill Belichick for years. Uh, they ran the Browns organization together before moving on to, um, when the Browns moved then to Baltimore, and then they were with the, their organization for a little while and sort of established with the Ravens what we know is sort of the Patriot way. And so that's why you sort of see um, the, the Patriots and the Ravens sort of aligned as far as competitively every single year is because they have that sort of winning, um, I, I guess, the, that winning culture put into place. But Mike Lombardi, he's now with Fox News, or not Fox News, but with Fox Sports, and he critiqued the Jaguars earlier this season and said that if you were to talk to the Jaguars, you would think that they would they would have won, you know, dozens of titles. But then you talk to an organization like the Patriots, and they act like they haven't won any. And so you look to these sort of small markets, and when you compare the media coverage in a small market to that of a large market, it's very, a large market is very very hostile. It's very competitive. You don't find that in you don't find that competitiveness or or that ruthlessness, that cutthroatness. 
of what you would find in a market like, um, obviously that cutthroat market lives in, you know, in LA and New York, um, even Pittsburgh at times, um, other bigger markets, but in places like Jacksonville and Tennessee and in St. Louis, you're going to get a lot more leeway with the relationship between the team and the media because the media wants to be buddy-buddy with the team. And the media wants to be able to be guaranteed those interviews. If you upset that team, guess what? They're not going to give you any interviews. They're going to cut you off. They're going to cut off your access. And and it's just, um, it, it, and that's just the way it works. It's not right. I don't agree with it. I don't like it when it happens here in Jacksonville. And, and it does happen here in Jacksonville. Um, I, I can speak from personal experience that it does happen. Um, but I come from the mindset of, And I think that a lot of people, especially like Eric Dickerson and and sort of to tie this all together, that I appreciate Eric Dickerson sort of speaking out and saying, I will criticize this team because I want the best for it. And I'm not going to be sort of a a brainwashed robot to just be programmed to say whatever you think I should say. And so kudos to Eric Dickerson. He was banned from the sidelines as far as Jeff Fisher was the head coach. He's not going to be banned anymore. So you should be able to look forward to seeing him on the sidelines um, here on, I guess, especially for, for the rest of the season, depending on whoever they hire as a head coach. But I imagine the new head coach would welcome somebody with the expertise and the experience and sort of the, the swagger that Eric Dickerson would have, especially on a young and upcoming team like or I hopefully upcoming team like what we what you would see with the Rams. But if you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe Brumley. This is the Guys Girls Show. We do the show every Monday night, recapping the sports weekend. I go into the biggest stories that I think you should know about as far as the sports world is concerned, and then I dive into a bunch of entertainment topics. Um, as you can see on my shirt tonight, it's The Dark Side Made Me Do It, so it's officially Star Wars week. We have a new Star Wars movie, so I'm going to dive into a good preview of that later on in the show. But I'm going to get back to the rest of the six-pack, and the number two, what I have on this list of the six stories that I think you you know, in sports is number two, obviously, is Lamar Jackson winning the Heisman. I'm a big Louisville fan, and selfishly, I want to put this story in the six-pack of what you should know about this man. Um, but if you missed it, he was the first ever player, Louisville player ever in school history to ever be nominated for the Heisman. And then he actually won on Saturday night. Overwhelming majority voted for him over some of the other guys that were nominated. Deshaun Jackson from Clemson, Jabril Peppers from Michigan, he was nominated as well. There was a few other guys, but I'm blanking on their names. Oh, two players from from Oklahoma, too. Um, Baker Mayfield and somebody else. Um, But all those guys were nominated. All those guys were there. But it was Lamar Jackson that took home the trophy, which is, uh, if you watch his acceptance speech, first of all, the jacket, the, the red and black jacket. It was stellar. Um, he caught a little flack for it, but anytime you can put on the best colors in college football or just sports in general, I think he looked damn good up there. And when he was up there, he was giving his acceptance speech, and he was so nervous. He kept saying, oh, man, this is crazy. Like, this is amazing. I can't believe this. I can't believe I'm up here. And you could just tell how much of a a genuine guy that he is and just a humble guy. And I sort of got into a little bit of a, a, a Twitter spat on, on what was it, Saturday night whenever I was talking about how humble 
Lamar Jackson is and how he's really a student of the game. And it wasn't a knock on on really any other players. It's just the fact that if you watch Lamar Jackson and if you listen to his press conferences and, and you watch how he interacts with this team, he really is a humble guy. He's he's the type of guy that doesn't use I or me or, or those words. He uses the words we and team and, and always gives credit back to his team. And, and, and you heard that, that that was very evident with his speech on Saturday night when, you know, he's thanking all of his teammates. He's thanking, you know, his mother, which is obviously the, the, the biggest supporter and light in his life. And he was asked before he won the Heisman what he would do if he won the Heisman. And he said, I would take the trophy and I would give it right to my mother because she is the reason that I'm here today. And so he's he's really, he's a guy that sort of played really well at the end of his freshman year because he didn't start his freshman year. He, he played, he started games towards the end of his freshman year. Um, and he was known as prolific runner. But in that off season, Bobby Petrino made him become a pocket passer over spring, uh, over the spring games and spring training and all that good stuff. So he, Bobby Petrino, head coach of Louisville, he really sort of molded Lamar into the quarterback, the Heisman winning quarterback that we saw this year. And and that just goes to show like how much Lamar is sort of a humble guy. He's not a, a, a super prideful guy. He's not going to tell you that, you know, he's not going to be a mobile quarterback and be a distraction like what we saw with Deshaun Watson earlier in the year that it, it, it sort of hindered Deshaun Watson's progression as a football player and it made it it was sort of a a, the reason why he's I think he started off so slow during this football season and that's why I think Lamar ran away with the Heisman he was he was sort of a dark horse candidate and I called it before the season started I said he's a dark horse candidate to watch as far as Heisman is concerned and then he just he blew away the competition and never really looked back he had 51 touchdowns this year and more than 5,000 yards. And that's total yards, rushing and passing. So he was the only player in FBS history to have these kind of numbers for passing and for rushing and for touchdowns. So I've been saying it all season long. I've been spouting off his numbers all season long. And he proved it on Saturday night why he was deserving of the Heisman. I know a lot of people don't care for the Heisman. But I feel like you only care about the Heisman if you got if you got if you have a guy in the race. If you have a horse in the race, you'll care about the Heisman. If you don't, you probably don't really care. But I think anybody who watched college football this year knows that Lamar Jackson was clearly the favorite. He won it on Saturday, and it's great for the program. It's great for the school, and it's great for my family because um, it's about the only thing we have this football season to actually cheer for. So um, moving on to the third thing in our sports six-pack is Lane Kiffin. And actually, Charlie Strong, too, because South Florida now has some really solid head coaching hires, especially for some of these smaller schools. Charlie Strong signed on to go with USF. Lane Kiffin is going to Florida Atlantic University. And I think a lot of people criticize these moves, especially for Kit on Kiffin's side. But this is I, I, I think that this was a good move for both of these coaches because this is going to be. Uh, uh, two schools where they can really build the program that they want. Charlie Strong couldn't necessarily do that at Texas because he has too many fucking boosters in his ear and, and too many people looking over his shoulder. But Lane Kiffin and both Charlie Strong can really build the programs that they ideally want to build prove that they can lead an organization, prove that they can lead a school to to hopefully a winning championship. Um, so both of those coaches, I, I thought that those were good moves. I think that after a few years of building up those programs, they'll have enough clout to get to either a Power 5 conference or maybe become an OC or a 
or a head coach in the NFL. So time will tell on those two guys, but I think those are both good moves for the right situation, the right time. And, and Lane Kiffin couldn't stay at Alabama anymore after he was openly flirting with LSU and then obviously got turned down for the Houston job. But I think that those are both good moves, Lane Kiffin to FAU and Charlie Strong to USF. On number four on our list, fantasy football playoffs. Some of the the playoffs started for you guys last weekend, and if you had the powerhouses that had got you through the entire season, the the, the Ben Roethlisberger's, the the oh gosh, Des Bryant, um, Dak Prescott, a lot of these guys who have sort of got you through the season, they came up with squat. Over this past weekend, so if you started the, if you started your playoffs in fantasy football this year, this arguably might be the worst starting week in fantasy football history because I think combined for those three players, I, I had the I had Dak and Big Ben and Ezekiel Elliott and well Ezekiel Elliott actually did pretty good, but Des Bryant I had all those guys starting and I think Big Ben and um, obviously I didn't start Dak Prescott he was on my bench but Big Ben. And uh, Des Bryant, I think, got me a combined 10 points. But luckily it wasn't. I've already secured a playoff spot in my league. Um, but for those of you who just started this past week, I mean, it was, unless you had Le'Veon Bell, uh, I, I think he did pretty bad. Because Le'Veon Bell, he had himself a day with 298 yards. He's the first player in this season to single-handedly outgain an opponent. The Giants beat the Cowboys, um, but that left many question, many fans to question if Dak is going to be in it for the long haul, which that's going to be a little rough if the Cowboys here start to rest some of their starters as far as fantasy football is concerned. Um, Ryan Tannehill, some sort of good news. No timetable on his return, but he does not have a torn ACL. I know that was some of the, the early reports that came out yesterday for quarterback for the Miami Dolphins against the Cardinals. They got the Miami Dolphins got that win 26-23 over the Cardinals. Um, but Ryan Tannehill only has a sprained ACL and MCL. It's not torn, no surgery required, so that's always a good thing. Um, Lions Matt Stafford, he dislocated his ming- middle finger on his throwing hand, but he'll keep playing through it. Um, I think you, if you were watching the game yesterday where he was starting, he had to try on like five or six different gloves before he found one that he actually really liked and that could really fit. Um, so looked, I mean, Matt Stafford is a really tough player. He's not going to miss any time over a dislocated finger. Um, he's a Michigan guy and Michigan guys are pretty tough. So he's going to, um, he's going to start for as long as they'll let him. Coming up on the fifth part of our sports six pack. And when I say our, I mean me, because I really like, I just go through this. I, I have this habit over the years of saying we and our, but it's really just me sort of running the show now as far as guys, girls concerned. Um, sort of taking a pivot as far as business strategy wise, not really expanding um, with adding more writers on because I'm sort of going off on a little tangent here. But um, earlier in the season, uh, I talked about this previously, but uh, lost one of my lead writers. He actually passed away, Rob Laszlo, and he was responsible for uh, about five or six articles per week. Um, and since he passed, I've sort of had a um, a, a process of, of blowing everything up of how I actually handled the content coming out of Guys Girls. So essentially all the news pieces that we used to put up pretty much every day, I've moved those news pieces to the podcast format and then made, you know, more of the long form content. I've put, I've kept that as a strategy up on Guys Girls. So that's sort of, um, a halfway around of, of, of telling you guys about how, um, the, the business strategy is, um, is moving forward for me. But I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, quarterback play as far as, 
this week is concerned, and December football in particular, because... After a very, very, very slow start, and a lot of people questioning if he's the quarterback of the future, a lot of people questioning if Mike McCarthy was still going to remain his head coach, but Aaron Rodgers has really come of age, not come of age, but he's really come around as far as this season is concerned. And I think I want to say in like the last seven or eight games, he has something like 20 touchdown passes and three interceptions, like something ridiculous. And Aaron Rodgers, he just doesn't lose in December. So when he came back yesterday, he got a big win, third straight win on the season against the NFC's best, or one of the NFC's best in the Seattle Seahawks. They whooped their ass. The Packers did 38 to 10. I think Russell Wilson had like five turnovers. And then speaking of bad quarterback play, Tony or Dak Prescott had another bad week again. That's leading a lot of fans, or not a lot of fans, but some to question if Tony Romo is actually going to be able to get back in there and start instead of Dak pulling maybe something like we saw um, similar to last year with the Denver Broncos when Brock Osweiler was the starter for the majority of the year or not the majority of the year, towards the end of the season. And then when he started struggling a little bit, they brought in the veteran and Peyton Manning, and then he went off and and obviously won the Super Bowl um, for the Broncos. So it sort of could be like a mirroring aspect with the Cowboys. I know Jerry Jones loves Tony Romo. Whenever Tony Romo got hurt earlier in the year, Jerry Jones specifically did not put him on IR because he wanted Tony to feel like it was still his team. And even though Tony gave the the press conference a few weeks back and said that, no, this is Dak's team. He came in. He earned it. It's his team now. Um, I still think that, I mean, everybody knows that Tony Romo wants to play, um, especially when the team is doing this good. At this point in the season, um, if there's a chance to get Tony some action, I'm I, I'm thinking that Jerry Jones is going to let him have it. Um, Dak Prescott has a couple bad weeks in a row, but this week against the Giants, I think they lost what like ten to seven. But that's against a division rival. The Giants were a team that had beaten them earlier in the year, so it could just be something that's that's where just a rivalry, and maybe the Giants just had his number this year. Clearly, they did, but hopefully, they're not going to see them again in the playoffs. But if they do. You just better hope that the Cowboys can sew up this home field advantage because if Dak Prescott has to play outdoors, if they don't sew up home field advantage and he has to play outdoors in New York again or or, or somewhere else, then that could be a problem as far as weather is concerned. But if they can sew up the East, get Dak Prescott home field advantage, he can play in the Dome, then I think he'll be okay. Um, Moving on to the last story in the the sports six-pack that I wanted to talk about is and obviously college football season is the majority of the season is done. We have bowl season coming up here very soon. Um, I'm actually going to be headed down to, to Orlando to catch the Louisville Cardinals against LSU Tigers um, in the Citrus Bowl in Orlando. So that's going to be a lot of fun. That's going to be on New Year's Eve, an 11 a.m. kickoff, which kind of works out well because we'll be able to get down there early enough. Orlando is only about a two-hour drive from Jacksonville, so we'll be able to get down there early enough. Um, watch the game, and then come back and be ready for New Year's Eve, even though I won't be able to go out too much for, for New Year's Eve um, because I have to work at 8 a.m. A radio call at 8 a.m. the next day for Jaguars pregame. So that's um, that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, New Year's Day, Jaguars just ruining my New Year's already. <laughs> um, hopefully not you know, ruining it too much. Hopefully maybe we get a win. I think we played the Colts that day, um, but I won't hold my breath. Um, but anyways... Jumping back into into this this last story I want to talk about as far as sports coverage is concerned is I said on last week's show that I, I came up with this idea that if 
away fans are going to continuously be allowed into stadiums, especially uh, catered to like what we see with the Jaguars. Um, we have a lot of away teams that come to Jaguar games. And I said that if this is going to continue, if you're going to continue to to market your franchise, which is what I believe the Jaguars are doing, I believe that they're marketing their franchise as an away team destination. And And part of me says... They absolutely should. And then part of me is like, this is our fucking home field advantage. Like, how could you allow the enemy into our home field and, and take over our, the, the little advantage that we do have? So part of me is really pissed off about it. But the other part sees the business aspect of it, that if you're from Denver or you're from Minnesota, the last two home games we've had, and you are staring at 10 degree temperatures and you want to come down to Florida for the weekend, it's arguably cheaper to come to Florida, Jacksonville in particular, fly here, stay here, enjoy the beautiful weather. It was 74 degrees yesterday was the high. It was sunny. It was gorgeous. Um, but to be able to, to be in a stadium like Everbank Field with the largest scoreboards in the world, big cabana areas, very, very friendly to away fans. If you're going to do this, if you're going to make your, your city that appealing to away fans, then you have to still instill, you, you have to instill that home field advantage. You have to still... It gives some kind of uh, an advantage to your fans, to your diehard fans that sort of feel like they're being ignored. And while I don't think this can be implemented across the league, I do think that this should be implemented in a particular market like Jacksonville, where we're the second smallest market in the country. And I think if you are going to have an away fan base, you should be able to section off particular sections, an upper bowl section and a lower bowl section, and you should put only away fans in those two sections. If you're going to wear the colors of the away team, you have to do something similar to what college football does, to what um, soccer stadiums do in, in, say, Mexico. They, they, The away fans that go to a soccer game in Mexico City, they are encaged. They're trying to protect the away fans from the home fans because there will be people there, that, especially like USA, Mexico, whenever they play that game there, it, the, the rivalry is so intense that fans will physically, um, obviously they'll physically fight each other, but because they're encaged to prevent those fights, what fans have done since is they'll take um, pennies or they'll take quarters and they'll throw them in and try to hit the away fans or they'll take little balloons. And I've heard of this happening where they'll take little balloons and they'll fill them with urine and they'll throw them at the at the away fans. So this is something that has escalated to the point where other countries, especially soccer countries, where the fans are absolutely insane and NFL fans are not far behind, but the fans are so insane that they've taken these precautions to protect away fans. And I think that that's what the Jaguars should do. Uh, proactively instead of retroactively, and this uh, the perfect case can be shown when the Chiefs and Chiefs and Raiders played last week on Thursday Night Football. There was a video that was released of all-out brawl within about six or seven rows of fans, just fans, Raider fans and Chiefs fans physically fighting each other. Security was far away; you couldn't see them, and, and even if security was close enough, there was just too many people in order. For, for anything to be done, say like one or two security guards were in the vicinity. So this is a situation where if the NFL is going to cozy up to alcohol companies, to beer companies, to allow fans to get shit-faced hammered at games and then allow those fans of opposing fan bases to sit near each other, especially a heated rivalry like the Raiders and the Chiefs, then you're going to continue to see fights like this happen. But if you 
are proactive about it and you take the approach of we're only going to put away fans in these two sections, then you leave the rest of the stadium open for your home fans to still feel like they're attending a home game. And you're still creating a safe space and a safe, and I hate even using that word safe space, but you're still creating a safe viewing environment for those away fans. And so that's where I sort of stand in all this. And, and I think it's it's just one of those things that like, I'm a Jaguars fan. I'm a season ticket holder. I've been one for a decade. And I look around the, the stadium the past couple weeks. It's at Everbank Field. And there's a ton of orange in the stadium whenever the Broncos were here. And then yesterday, there's a ton of purple for the Vikings that were in town. And 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 credit to both of those fan bases. They weren't assholes. They, they weren't... Um, they cheered for their team, which obviously you should if you're paying good money to go and see them play. And especially if they come away with a win like we've seen... Um, the Jaguars only have two wins on the on the season, and they came a long time ago. They weren't against these two franchises. Um, but this is a situation where you're not always going to have a fan base like the Jaguars that are sort of apathetic at this point. They're probably not going to get in a fight over this team. Um, but in the future, if you're not careful about this, if you're still marketing yourself as an away fan destination for other teams to come and enjoy a game, then you're going to run into problems like what we saw with KC and the Raiders. So that's just something that I just wanted to get off my chest again. Um, I'll put a lot of these links in the show notes so you guys can make sure, um, or not make sure, but if you wanted to read up on it more, then I can um, I can always include that information in there for you. Um, so going into another little sort of new segment that I wanted to start. I started it off last week. I told the story about Kate Mara, that her, her parents own the Steelers and the Giants. And she's also an actress as well. She was in 24. Um, she, she was in something else too. But anyways, she, she told a great story and she was my guys girl of the week. So I'm doing, I'm going to start doing this for every show. I, I don't know why I call it the guys girl of the week since I'm going to have if I have two shows a week, so I probably have to do a little bit of working out on that on my end. Um, but I told the story about Kate Mara and how uh, she had the Super Bowl trophy in her house, and she had a soccer player boyfriend at the time, and the boyfriend was holding the Lombardi trophy, and he it, the base and the top of the trophy weren't connected, and so it fell. But because he's a soccer player, he tried to kick it up and catch it. It didn't hit the ground, but whenever he kicked it, it caused a small little dent in the Lombardi trophy. And it was, um, she said, she kind of hinted that it was the fact that of why they broke up. So they broke up shortly after that. So I thought that was a great story. She told it on Conan O'Brien. Um, so I'll include that in the show notes as well. But this week, I wanted to really give a shout out to Kathleen Kennedy. And she's, and this is something I'm going to go into a little bit more in depth here in just a second. But she's Lucasfilm's president. She really took over after George Lucas sold Lucas Lucas Arts and Lucasfilms to Disney for, I don't know how many billion dollars, but she announced last week that her executive team is made up of more than 50% women. And Kathleen Kennedy is really the, the, the woman, she's been on the scene for years working alongside George Lucas. Um, she oversaw everything that had to do with The Force Awakens. And I think The Force Awakens, as far as like the first Star Wars movie in, you know, more than a decade, was damn near perfect. And, and while it was kind of a remake of a new hope, it still was perfect to bring back that nostalgia factor and to also reintroduce brand new characters that fans pretty much instantly fell in love with. But she announced last week that her executive team is made up of more than 50% women, and I think that you can sort of tell 
in the castings of The Force Awakens with Rey as the central, you know, female character. Um, and then we also have Jen Erso, which is the central female character in Rogue One. And that's played by Felicity Jones. Um, Rey is played by Daisy Ridley. So I, I think that that's a really, the, the, the fact that Kathleen Kennedy is putting these females in um, a, a prominent role in such an iconic franchise just speaks wonders to, to little girls everywhere and, and grown women like myself who, who really look to, to characters like Rey as sort of an inspiration. And I don't think that you get there without female leadership at the top. And so credit to Kathleen Kennedy. Her team is made up of more than 50% women. You can't represent a demographic unless you have that demographic in the meeting rooms, in the brainstorming rooms, in, in, in sort of the collaboration that, um, that, that we see as far as creativity, creativity is concerned with, and, and that's across the board. That's in sports. That's in um, entertainment, that's in, in, in any kind of medium, magazines, any kind of medium that it, that speaks on behalf of a or, or tries to speak to a certain population, you can't speak on behalf of a demographic. Like, I, I obviously cannot speak on, on being a black male. I am not a male. I am not black. Uh, but I can speak on being a white woman. I can speak on being a, a German-American. I can speak on being a brunette. Um, for, for part of the year. I can speak on being in a blonde for the other part of the year. So you can't, and my point is, is that if you want to, to tell accurate stories, if you want to tell more stories, you have to be diverse in your company from the ground up. Because if you don't have that voice in the room, you can't talk about it creative or, or creatively. So that is really, really important. And, and kudos to Kathleen Kennedy for, for her team and, and making sure that 50% of that task force is not only women, but a diverse group of women. So kudos to her. And that brings us to Star Wars Movie Week. So Rogue One, I'm going to just sort of, I'm going <sighs> to, I feel like I need to decompress before I talk about this. And if you're just tuning in, my name is Blythe. This is the Guys Girls Show. We do this every single week, Monday nights and Friday mornings. I also do some uh, some other periscopes for other radio shows that I'm on, Helmets and Heels on Tuesday night, and then the Jags kickoff show on game day. So five hours before kickoff, we do I do a Periscope as well, along with my other co-hosts. Um, so you can probably go back and, and check out a few of those shows if you so wish. Yesterday we had a really great show for um, the Jags pregame, and I don't mean like pre pregaming or previewing the Jags actual matchup, but we did um, a cool little thing on Jimmy Smith getting inducted into the Pride of the Jaguars. So if you want to check any of that stuff out, I have all of the Jimmy Smith coverage that I found over the weekend in a Twitter moment. So just go to my Twitter page at Blythe Brum, B-L-Y-T-H-E-B-R-U-M, and you should it should be one of the first stories that you see. Um, I think I have it pinned to the, the uh, top of my profile page. So if you wanted to check that out, definitely do so. He's um, the greatest Jaguar, I think, in franchise history. And he was finally, he had a lot of off-the-field issues, um, but he was finally inducted into the team's Hall of Fame. So there's a lot of coverage there in case you wanted to check that out. So go to at Blythe Brum if you wanted to check out more of the Jimmy Smith coverage. But moving on to uh, a segment I like to call Around the Internet, I'm going to call this Around the Internet, but I'm really only going to want to talk about one thing, and that's the new Star Wars movie. So, lots of, I guess, how do I start this? So, Rogue One 
if you are sort of, let's just take a, you know, I haven't seen the movie yet, so there's not going to be any spoilers here. This is pretty much just a, just a general preview for this movie that's coming up. It releases on, it releases everywhere Friday, but now that we have these, and this has started for a few years now, but now that we have these bigger previews as far, or bigger movies that are coming out, we don't, we've lost the, this movie is coming out at this time on this date, you know, 12.01 a.m. showing. It used to sort of be like a thing whenever like the Lord of the Rings movies were coming out or Harry Potter's or anything like that, that the movie would, it would have a release day and the first movie showing on release day would be 12.01 a.m. So you really had to like drink a bunch of Red Bull. Um, you had to get to the theater early because there were no reserved seats. There were no assigned seats. Um, so it was sort of, but it was also really fun because it was like a community building. And you knew that if you were a fan of that movie or if any of your fans were, were or any of your friends were a fan of that movie, then what everybody would show up at the same place at the same time. Now, I think this started really with maybe the last, the very last Hobbit film. So the very last Hobbit film and including with Star Wars 2 that whenever these new movies come out, they have the main release day where like the majority of the public goes and watches. But days before, they'll have shows, they'll have movies on, you know, say like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, they'll show it a couple times. And then on Wednesday, they'll show it a couple more times. But this year, they're doing it with uh, Star Wars. They're sort of scaled back just a little bit. Um, and I think it's for the better. But it's also because they're taking this movie and they're showing it in all of their theaters. So we have a few theaters in Jacksonville that are participating in the Star Wars release night. You could you pre-ordered your tickets a, a few weeks back and, and seats sort of sold up pretty quickly. Um, but there's a bunch of theaters all over town that are showing the first movie on or they're showing this new movie Rogue One on Thursday night starting at 7 p.m. And so that's the tickets that I bought. You know, I, I got, you know, recliner seats, reserve seats, so I can literally show up right when the movie is starting, watch the, and, and I don't have to wait in line, I don't have to do anything, I have an assigned seat, I go right to my seat, prop my feet up, and they're like leather recliner seats, so it's really, really, it's, it's, a, it's a stellar, it's a stellar viewing experience. So shout out to Regency AMC Theaters. I kind of don't like telling people about it, because then I feel like a lot more people are going to go to the theater, but I'm a big Regency fan. I believe in Regency. I grew up in that area, so I always want to see it do well, um, but that's where I'm going to see it on Thursday night at 7 p.m., and, and if you're not really familiar with Rogue One, let me tell you why you're probably going to like it, because Rogue One is... The, the sort of the time period of where it's set it's between movies three and four so this takes place and it centers around a character called Jen Erso and Jen Erso is played by Felicity Jones um and she essentially is she's essentially the lead of the movie she's the the female I, I she's not the antagonist the antagonist is the bad guy I think the pro I, I don't whatever she's the lead character and she is Go, she's responsible for, she's essentially an orphan. Her parents were captured years ago. Her dad is the one that was responsible for building the plans for the Death Star, what you see in the original, original Star Wars movies. So the original, original Star Wars movie, and I'm using air quotes here, the originals 4, 5, and 6 came out in the 80s. And then 1, 2, and 3 came out in the 2000s. The Force Awakens came out last year, and that's number seven. So we have seven Star Wars films that go in order. Rogue One is set between three and four 
of this timeline. So this is really where Jen Erso is responsible for creating a, a, a rebel alliance and creating a group to go in and steal the plans to the Death Star. Now, if you remember in Empire Strikes Back or even Return of the Jedi, that the, the way that they really killed off the Empire is that they blew up the Death Star because of one gaping mistake. And they found that mistake because of Jyn Erso stealing the plans, getting them to Princess Leia. Princess Leia, Princess Leia keeps them in and stores them in R2-D2. And that's why R2-D2 goes and tries to find Obi-Wan. And so it sets up a whole um, sort of a, a, a stream of events based off of what Jin does in this movie. And early reports are coming out, early reviews are coming out, especially one from very, very high praise, Kevin Smith. He's like the resident nerd on the block. But he said that Rogue One is Empire Strikes Back good. Like, very, very good. He essentially, and he also said, like, the last ten minutes of the movie is, is something that will make you squeal like a little fangirl. And so for me, that, that gets me super, super excited because one of the... It wasn't a big complaint, but it was somewhat of a complaint that The Force Awakens was a little too family-friendly. And that a lot of fans, especially Star Wars fans, are all adults now, and um, or, or have been adults for a very long period of time. And they wanted to see something a little bit more for adults, and they wanted to see something a little bit more edgier. And I think that Rogue One is going to be able to give it to us. Um, there's not going to be a sequel. This is the only one. Obviously, if it happens between three and four, this is definitely going to be the only one. Kathleen Kennedy, who I mentioned earlier in the show, she's already said there will be no sequel to this movie, but there will be other standalone, standalone films. So while The Force Awakens from last year, the, the new Star Wars movie cover, or went in that timeline of, say, one through seven, and then we'll get an eight and we'll get a nine, but those will be two years apart. So we'll get movie number eight for Star Wars next year, but in between those years, we're getting these standalone films. This one, Rogue One, is going to be one of them. Han Solo spinoff is going to be one of them. And that's going to come two years from now. But that ties in because there's rumors that the Hans, the new young Han Solo movie, who's the, the, the guy has already been cast, and I'm blanking on his name, but he seems like a pretty good fit English actor. Um, but he's going to possibly make a cameo in Rogue One. And so I think when Kevin Smith is talking about the last 10 minutes of the movie and that it just made him squeal, I think he might be referring to seeing the Han Solo cameo, which will set up the movie two years from now. So that, that'll be a nice little tie-in. Um, but basically, what we know about Rogue One it's really, it, it's kind of not much. Um, there's a lot of great guys that are playing in this. Um, a lot of people, I mean, we're going to see Vader. That's going to be, I mean, if you haven't seen my shirt yet, this is why I'm wearing the shirt tonight. Um, the dark side made me do it. So Vader is going to be back. He's going to be playing in this movie. Um, I think we're going to see a lot more of them than what the, the trailer leads on. I've heard rumors of only about 15 minutes or so of total film time for Vader, but I kind of find that hard to believe if he's such a, if he plays such a pivotal role and he's only going to be in there for, for about 15 minutes or so. Um, but there, 
a gentleman, he's a creative, creative executive for Lucasfilms, Pablo Hidalgo, and he said that we should all watch the scene from A New Hope, so that's Star Wars 4, that if you're going to go see Rogue One, you want to watch this specific scene before you go see it. And it's the scene where Vader walks in, they're all sitting around the meeting table, and they're talking about, you know, the... The, the ancient force, and that is the hokey religion, and um, and that's also the scene where, you know, Vader says, I find your lack of faith disturbing, and he, you know, fate, and he chokes the guy with his hands, um, so that is, that's the scene that Pablo wants you to watch before you go see Rogue One, and I was reading sort of some of the comments from that scene, because it's sort of funny, like, when you go back and you watch movies like that, that you watched as a kid, and you probably just glossed over that scene. But if you go back and you watch it as an adult, and you watch it intently, like, what I, when he said to go watch the scene, like, I went and I watched it a few times uh, very intently to see if I could pick up on anything. And a few things that you pick up on, especially because this Redditor pointed it out, too, so it made it a little bit more easier for me to, to sort of follow along. Uh, but he says, an old government, that's what he recognized. There's a new emperor now instead. There's a rebellion, and it's got some political backing in the Senate. And the emperor just dissolved the Senate. And then Vader is presumed to be the last force user. So those are all the few things that you pick up from that one scene. So if you haven't seen it, I'll link it in the show notes. I'll have the show notes posted first thing tomorrow morning. Um, if you missed any part of the show too, I will have it up on iTunes tonight. It should be about midnight of when the show will be up on iTunes. So I'll be sure to include the podcast feed and a lot of what I've talked about tonight, including the trailers, the videos, um, anything else. So if you, I, I wrote about this a while ago and I'll, I'll obviously I'll include this in the notes too. But if you watch the preview for Rogue One, especially trailer two, then you'll notice that there are some some hints that could be uh, that could set up for this movie in particular. And one of them was that I thought was really cool was this sort of a, a quick scene that it was um, over the desert and it looks like a fallen Jedi monument. And so it looks like it's fallen and it could be. Somebody theorized, and I thought it was a really good theory. It could be the Jedi Mecca of Jeddah. And I'll explain this really quick. Jeddah was a small desert moon located in the galaxy's inner rim, which had a cold climate due to its lasting winter, and an atmosphere that was breathable to human population. The historical and spiritual significance of Jeddah led the moon to become the world of worship for those who believed in the Force. And it's a holy site for pilgrims who sought spiritual guidance. Could be something from The Force Awakens, wherever Luke is at. That could be it too. Um, but Jeddah, moving on to Jeddah. Sometime before the Battle of Yavin. I, I don't even know what Yavin is. I guess I need to do some more research on that. But the Galactic Empire occupied the moon to control its resources that were once used by the Jedi Order to build lightsabers. So... That's one of the shots from Rogue One's new trailer. So if you're interested in that, go to guysgirl.com. Just do a search for Rogue One, and it should be the, the, the first story that pops up. Um, but it's a really cool shot because it looks just like... It, lo- it kind of looks like Obi-Wan and holding a lightsaber. And obviously it's fallen because it's a little bit in ruins, but it's a really, really cool shot. Um, so that's one thing to be on the lookout 
Darth Vader is back is another one, so we got to see a glimpse of him in it. Um, we're seeing a lot of dead stormtroopers in that trailer as well. Um, there are a bunch of cloaked figures that we don't know who they are just yet. Obviously, it'll be revealed in the movie. And the good thing about this movie is that since there won't be a sequel, we'll get a lot of answers in this movie. So it's not going to be something that's going to end like The Force Awakens, where you see Rey and, and Luke, you know, holding the lightsaber out and, and Luke has that look of, oh my god, it's the first human I've seen in such a long time. So in this movie, in Rogue One, it's really going to be um, a movie that's going to be probably jam-packed from the beginning to the end. So I'm really, really super excited to see it. And I'm also a, a little curious to see how Vader acts in this movie because one thing that I noticed in The Force Awakens is that Kylo Ren was just sort of like the emo, like emotional kid who was sort of struggling between the light and the dark. And if you notice at the end of episode three, that was really when, that was really when Vader became Vader. So will we see him sort of wrestling with that same emotional um, pull to the light and to the dark that we saw with Kylo Ren? Um, will we still see that in Rogue One? So that's, I, I, that's why I think that we'll see a little bit more Vader than just, you know, a few minutes or so. But I'm really super, super excited for that. Um, I'll do a full, I can't, I, I, I can't decide if I want to do a full recap the day after because I'm seeing it on Thursday night. I know a lot of you aren't seeing it until the weekend, so I might see it twice and then do a full recap on Monday, and I'll do that one filled with spoilers, so that way if people have seen the movie already, then you don't have to worry about hearing the spoilers, but um, if you hadn't seen the movie, then you can just probably just ignore that portion of it, sort of like what I did with the Fantastic Beasts. Um, I saw Fantastic Beast twice before I did a recap show on it. And so obviously I'll do a recap show on on Rogue One because I'm a Star Wars fanatic and I'm going to be wearing a Star Wars shirt every night of this week until the movie comes out. Um, but that, 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 that might be the way I handle that one. Um, either way, I'll give you a, a, a big heads up before I start talking about spoilers or anything like that because I know some people are, are freaks about that kind of stuff. Um, but that's going to be really super exciting. Um, coming up for the rest of the week, we have Patriots Ravens tonight. That's going to be a really, really good game. I said earlier in the show that Mike Lombardi and Bill Belichick were close friends, so they have close ties to the Browns, and then the Browns moved to Baltimore, became the Ravens, and the Ravens, a lot of their success is, is sort of credited to those early days when Mike Lombardi and, and Bill Belichick helped lead their franchise and sort of established the Patriot way or the winning consistency between those two franchises. The Ravens always play the Patriots tough. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how Tom Brady plays without Gronk because I think after Dak's performance this the past couple weeks, after Derek Carr's performance on last Thursday against the Chiefs and losing that game and 117 passing yards or something like that, um, we'll get to see if Tom Brady solidifies himself as the MVP again but without Gronk. So that's going to be a really great game on tonight. Um, on Wednesday, I'm going to be trying out, if you're based in Jackson when you're local here, I'm going to be trying on a new blow-dry bar called My Dry. Um, they're going to be opening up here in Jacksonville. It's sort of a newer trend here in town to have these blow-dry bars. And if, you're, and, and if you're a male, then you probably don't get like how cool these things are. But it's essentially a, um, it's like a fast casual, it's like a Chipotle for your hair. So if you have an event, say if a woman has an event coming up and, or if it's like a Jaguar game or a holiday party or something like that and you're like, I really need to get my hair done, but you don't want to go through like the whole hassle of like 
getting your hair cut, getting it colored, doing all that good stuff. You just want a quick in and out, wash my hair, blow dry it, style it. But the way they blow dry it is a way that it makes the style of the hair last for a few days. So I talked about this. I interviewed the founder of Dry Bar a few months back. It was one of the first Guys Girl podcasts I ever did. So if you if you want to go listen to that, you certainly can. Just search in um, Guys Girl Shows in iTunes, rate and subscribe in there. But um, it's sort of a newer trend because I think this is the fourth location here in town since just a few months ago. So in just a few months, we've had three or four blow dry bars specifically focused on just that with hair salons all over the place, just like any other city, but blow dry specific places where that's all they do, all they do are blowouts, then it, it, it's sort of newer to town. So, but I'm excited about this location because this location is right beside my house. So it'll make it super easy if I have an event, if I have someplace I need to go and I don't have time to wash my hair because doing my hair myself like this, it probably looks kind of nice like here now, but this is two days worth of dry shampoo and I curled it this morning, threw some more like frizz cream in here just to make it look halfway decent for these periscopes and for these live streams. Um, but it's sort of a pain in the ass when you have long, thick ass hair. So I'm excited to try out this new place. It could be a location that I hit up quite frequently. Hopefully they do a good job. I'm sure they will, but um, I, I, I don't know that until I actually go there. Um, so that's on Wednesday. And then obviously Thursday, I'm going to see new Star Wars at 7 p.m. Super pumped for that. And then um, another thing that's coming up this weekend is GAM. It's an, GAM is an acronym for Games, Art, and Music. And it's a essentially a, a, a local company that has these great parties and these great cosplay parties. And they raise money for charity. They have art auctions. They have gaming tournaments. Um, just really, really like a good time with good people. And so they're having another sort of mini event. I did this back, I, I don't know, like August, July or August for their Versus show. So I, I, I cosplayed as Sonya Blade for that one. And then for this one, it's a little bit smaller of an event. So only like 500, 400, 500 people are going to be at this one versus the other one, which was like quadruple that. But this one is 80s and 90s toy themed. They're doing a big toy drive. Um, so for this one, I've got a costume for uh, Kimberly the Pink Power Rangers. So I'm really, really excited about that. I was a huge Power Ranger fan growing up. I was in the Power Ranger fan club. I remember for my birthday, I got $20 as a birthday present. And back in the day, like, I'm 32 years old, about to be 33. If if I got $20, like, at 10 years old, like, I was rich. Like, there, there's, there was nothing that could stop me with $20. But I took that $20 and I spent it on a Power Ranger fan club kit. And I still have that kit to this day. And I was a huge fan. I had all the action figures. My mom said that it was the that one Christmas where, you know, the, the one, like, hot toy that the parents have to fight for in order to get it. Like, the Power Rangers were that toy that year. And my mom got it for us. Like, she was ruthless, she said, at the, at the Walmarts and the Targets of the world where you had to fight to get these toys. So she got it for us. I still have all my toys to this day. I still have, actually, I have it right here, my little morpher. So this thing, if you can see it on the live stream, I don't know how well you can see it in there, but it's a little pterodactyl, so that's Kimberly's Pink Ranger. And if you push the button open like this, there are these lights and these sounds. 
I ordered the replacement batteries off Amazon today, so I'll have this working by this weekend. But still have my original Morpher from when I was a kid, and I'm I'm super pumped. These things go for, for like 100 bucks on eBay right now. Um, so I'm pumped to have this. I'll have to keep a, a close eye on, on it since it's so valuable nowadays. Um, but that's what I'm doing this weekend. If you wanted to go to the GAM show and you're local to the North Florida area, if you go to I Love GAM or GAMshow.com, there's a, a link there that tells you where you can buy tickets to the show. And I think they're super cheap. It includes food, it includes drinks, all that good stuff. Uh, but you can get 20% off your ticket if you use the code GUYSGIRL20. GUYSGIRL, all one word, G-U-Y-S, girl, and then the number 20, and you'll get 20% off your ticket. So be sure to check that out. Um, that's about it for what I have for tonight's show, but I will be back here Friday morning, fresh off Thursday Night Football, fresh off new Star Wars movie, and um, a full recap of the rest of the stuff in sports that will happen from now until then. Um, but thanks, you guys, as always, for tuning in to another edition of the Guys Girl Show. And uh, thank you. We'll be back here Friday morning. Be on the lookout for tomorrow for a BTS behind-the-scenes video of Helmets and Heels. Uh, but another Guys Girl Show here on Friday. Check us out on Periscope, all the social media networks. Full show recap tomorrow morning up on Guys Girl.com. Thank you guys for tuning in again and have a good night.